When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Clubs, clubs, clubs. The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. Sign this new contract here at Arsenal, but what made you so sure that this was the best place and this was the right decision for you? It's Arsenal, you know. Come on, it's Arsenal. Welcome back to. Oh, sorry, lads. Just sorry, I just got to take it. It's, it's, it's Daniel. Just one sec. Hello, Daniel. <laughs> Hi, mate. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember that Where time you, when mate? you tried to buy Arsenal? How far are you in? Oh, you're in Sweden. All oh, right. All right, how's it how's it going, mate? Good weather, yeah. Oh, cool, cool, cool. So, yeah. So, what did you want to what did you want to chat about? Buying the different knock. Ooh, um, yeah. We, uh, do, do we have a price in mind, boys? Um, three million, uh, a million each. There you go. Thinking probably, th- yeah, three. Yeah, billion. Yeah, yeah, billion. <laughs> with with a B. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, you, you, you go back to them and, and let me know on that, mate. All right, cheers. Imagine All if right, he actually listens cheers. to this. Thanks, guys. <laughs> An Arsenal podcast with Alexander Moneypenny, my very good friends. Bradley Adams. George V. If you've missed the context of that, go on my Twitter, Daniel Eck, the CEO of Spotify and ex-Arsenal uh, owner-to-be, um, <laughs> says he likes my videos and he likes a different knock and he might be able to listen to this podcast. So if you are Daniel... And if you want to have that conversation in real life, yeah. let's do it. <laughs> my, my number is 07. <laughs> <laughs> How much would we take for the different knot boys? Priceless. 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 I don't know. At, at this rate, 50 grand would do me quite, quite well. <laughs> mate, 50, 50 quid. <laughs> 50p, mate. Have you seen my bank balance? <laughs> Welcome back to the Different Organ Arsenal podcast. Hope you're doing well. Just a little bit of housekeeping before we start. Um, honestly, thank you to the Sport Social Podcast Network, which we have now joined. Um, what does that mean for you? Nothing really. It just means for us, it, it makes distribution easier, uh, makes our end easier. There's going to be more relevant ads. I mean, does, does anyone care about that? No, no one really. Nothing changes. But I just want to say we're now on a podcast network. They got in touch. They wanted to help us reach more people. So we might be list- speaking to more people now. So welcome. If Hello, you are new people. Joining from the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, how are you doing? And thank you to the guys at the Sports Social Podcast Network. I promise we're nearly done with uh, jiggery pokery. Let's say that. Finally, um, I do have, we do have a bingo card that I want to make for the different knock. I posted this on, again, twitter.com forward slash, it must be horrible to listen to these podcasts if you're not on Twitter. It's just you're so inaccessible. But anyway, it, if you if you can, go on twitter.com forward slash diffknock. I've put um, a link to a, 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 a sort of, a, a, what's the word? A prototype. Suggestion box. A suggestion box of what could be on the Diffknock bingo card. So far, it has George saying, mate. George <laughs> saying, central running power. Me doing, my, me doing my Arteta impression. Bradley's mum booking the dentist and uh, an expletive-filled rant from Bradley. We've also got some suggestions which I love. Which that's are... actually not happened for in a while, you know. No, true. We've an also got we've got some rant. suggestions which I love. Which one of them was from Wunmi uh, Adesina, who says, "Alex at Real Madrid, they booed Ronaldo." <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good one. I say I that, that all such the a niche time. one. All the time, and the, and the Pep impression, obviously. More than you believe. More than you believe. More than you believe. More than you believe. Um, anyway, housekeeping over. Thank you so much. I'm also, by the way, boys, 10 points for the cartoon character I'm dressed as today. 
Shaggy from Scooby Doo. Exactly. No one got that. I went, to, I went to get the Martinelli trim. Can you see it? Oh my gosh, guys! Ooh. You can see this. Oh, the fade was not that on is the, point. The fresh, the freshest of cheese, cheese. Right. Uh, apparently, we're an awesome podcast, so maybe let's talk about that. Um, so expected skin fades. <laughs> yeah, the confidence-based barber. He's back. <laughs> Someone said that's your funniest ever line on the podcast. Bro. So, <laughs> yes, get <laughs> in. Made it, mate. <laughs> I fucking made it. Yeah, Not George, your hair's looking fresh. It's grown in oh, well. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I hate. Look at I you. don't know if anybody listening is like this, by the way. But really quickly, another bingo. We need to talk about football. Um, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but don't you guys hate your haircuts? Like when you first get them, or maybe it's just me. Yeah. I feel like there's a ten no, day yeah. like waiting period before you're like. Okay, I can kind of mine's see just it. mine's a couple of days. Uh, After a couple of days, I'm like, all right. But uh, the first time I see it and they show the show me the back of my head, I'm like, yeah, it's always it's fine. Uh, but you're like, this is awful. I hate it. I can't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to be a man. Uh, you guys want to go in the waiting room and chat and yeah, you know, probably. Or you want to do a podcast or no? <laughs> Bloody shall hell. we? Come on. Let's start with this. Uh, You may not have seen, but if you have or haven't, uh, on Transfermarkt, there is essentially a a table uh, of total market value of a club, uh, total purchase value, as in what the, uh, how much the club bought the players for, and the difference between the purchase value and the total market value. Arsenal currently stand, according to Transfermarkt, at one, over 1 billion euros, probably about a billion, just under a billion pounds. Um, and purchase value of just over 714 million euros, making a difference of 379 million euros of increased value from Arsenal, putting it at the top of the table. Brighton second, Brentford third, Man City fourth, um, and just beautifully down the bottom. Man City with minus 100, Man United with 135, and rock bottom Chelsea with minus 145. And I think, boys, it's where I wanted to start because it puts into perspective what we're seeing at the moment. There's so much news, right? There's so much going on in terms of the Xhaka sale. I sort of forget what we have and haven't discussed on the podcast. Obviously, we do lots of content in between, so I don't know. But I'll start with you, Brad. Like, how impressed are you with the business we're doing this summer, just as an overall perspective? Like, and I said this the other day, and I sort of said it. You know, when you say something, you're like, do I mean that? Am I going to back it up? And I was like, no, I do mean it. I think, or maybe I'll put it to you, is this the best summer window we've had in the 21st century. Yes. I mean, that that can only be told by time because at the end of the day, it's huge outlay on three players that, um, the, I mean, I think Declan Rice is a guarantee uh, in terms of quality. There's seven years of Premier League experience in there, but we've outlaid kind of cumulatively probably about another what just shy of a hundred million pounds on Kai Havertz and Yuri and Timber who I believe will come good but belief is not fact there is every chance that Kai Havertz um more than you believe more than you believe but there there is there is there is a chance that Kai Havertz is kind of unable to resurrect his career or that Yuri and Timber just can't quite make the switch across those things are always possibilities and I think that the only way that you can ever judge these things accurately is through hindsight. You know, we can look at previous windows and go, you know, that's where we went wrong. This is where we went wrong. But from a from a sitting here and looking at um, kind of exciting possibilities, I do think this has a very, very high potential of being uh, the best transfer window we've had um, as Arsenal fans in, in the modern era of football, really. And, you know, 
it's it's a different landscape now um and this is akin to when we saw when we saw Burkamp, you know and we have to remember like when we signed Thierry Henry he wasn't the player that he we made him into be so even that window is is looked at now as oh you know we signed the best player the Premier League's ever seen in the Premier League but when we bought him he wasn't that whereas right now we're buying um you know probably the one of the best three number sixes in the Premier League if not one of the definitely one of the best in the world so it's it's big big moves and very 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 exciting times uh in terms of how good the business is I don't think enough of it's happened yet to really judge in terms of incomings versus outgoings um we've done some good deals so far if we're taking you know the transfers as kind of done which they pretty much are but in terms of outgoings there's still a lot more that I think we need to see before we can class it as a kind of good to excellent window we've so far done one piece of good business it's time to kind of keep the ball rolling and crack on with it now yeah yeah I think I think you're bang on broadly um Stuart broadly as apparently you look like um I think there's a that wasn't intentional by the way um <laughs> that sounded like one of those things I've been waiting to say for ages or it wasn't um but the yeah the I think it's difficult to say right whether a a, tra- a transfer window in the moment it, as it's happening is the best yeah. summer window ever right and i i think i would say i think it is going to be the best summer window we've ever had for a number of reasons firstly in terms of the competitive landscape and how much it's changed in terms of you know what who and what we're competing against now and, and who and what we were competing against before in terms of the profile selection of what we needed moving from one place to the next obviously it hasn't happened yet you know but i'm very confident that all three of those major signings will hit the ground and hit the ground running. I'm, I would be more surprised than I would be. I don't think it's a case of like, well, let's wait and see. I'm. I would say it's ninety five percent sure that Rice will be a hit at Arsenal. He's just one of those players. Like it's not. A, it's not a massive gamble. You pay the money because it's going to be okay, even if it take. Even if there's an adaptation period. The, then the contract stuff. That's the big. That's the thing that tips it over into. Yeah, I, for, not, I, for, I forgot about that. You know, not just. Not just a window in terms of um, uh, the transfer selections because you could go back and say, well, you know, is it when we sign, you know, Vieira or is it when we sign Henri and Burkamp, those those sorts of windows, whatever. You you can go wherever you want with that. But in terms of the contract stuff, moving from one place to the next in terms of increasing our squad value, that moves us from one place to the next in terms of the people that we've tied down. I would say the best young right winger in the world, maybe I'm biased. I would say the best young centre-back in the world, I would maybe I'm biased. I would say one of top 10 young keepers in the world in Ramsdale. So the most valuable th- keeper in the world. Yeah. So I think in terms of when, when all is said and done, it's obviously impossible to say until we've gone past it and we can see it in context, et cetera, et cetera. I think it has every chance of being the best window. And not only just to add to that before I come to you, George, how early and quickly we've done it all. That's the thing. We're getting these guys in, the three guys before the preseason tour. I remember us scrabbling around on deadline day for, you know, five guys to come in. Like, this is so proactive. So it's the manner. Remember how late Tommy Asu came in, even last yeah. summer? You know, and that's, that's, and that's because we're going from a position of strength. But yeah, George, your, your thoughts on that? Because I know you're a big fan of all this. Well, look, I, I think um, extracting value has been a key part of the rebuild. And really, when you look at Arsenal's ability to compete with competitors that have a limitless fund, how do you do it? Like, I mean, it's all well and good in terms of us saying, like, we'd want to compete. We want to come back to winning titles. But when you're competing with a different level of financial power, 
um, you need to do things in a different way. And, you know, I actually recently kind of just did a really small thread on athletic development that's been done at Hale End. And the reason that I bring that up is because I think that everything that Arsenal has done has been so clinical. And from a business organization standpoint, they have set key uh, performance indicators that they have held themselves accountable to in limits. When I look at why are we able to afford this kind of window with Declan Rice, Timber, Kai Havertz, really, guys, the work went done back when we walked away from Rafinha. The work went done when we walked away from Martinez, from Mudrick. When we walked away from these deals and holding ourselves accountable to the limits of this football club and then making the difficult decisions in terms of the Aubameyangs, the Ozils, the terminations of those deals. And yes, we are at fault for putting ourselves into those situations, but the leadership team wasn't. And so what they've done to be just so ruthless in making sure that their vision was shared and their vision was performed was something of a masterclass in business, a masterclass in uh, performing at the top level in any organization. And I think that's why you start to get these deals like Timber, for example, 38 million pounds all in. Steel. Steel, one of the best price to quality uh, deals of the market. And you negotiate from a place of power. And now we're able to see the talents. You know, I I really think that sometimes when we start to critique um, backroom staff um, and, you know, Edu is like a really nice lightning rod for people's fans in general. But, um, you know, I think that the backroom staff in general are um, sometimes not given the credit that they deserve. And what I mean by that is I think that just as much as a player improves in a good environment, a club's ability to operate internationally and domestically improves with greater standing. That's just a fancy way of saying we're freaking good again and people want to join the train. (laughs) And it's like that, that, you know, that, that can't be understated. And, you know, us getting to this point, the deals that I'm seeing, it's phenomenal. I I just think that the Declan Rice deal is going to be cheap in the long term. I know that sounds ridiculous after having broken the British transfer record. But I think when you start to make these decisions, when you start to go beyond the Ben Whites of the window, and by the way, make no mistake about it, this is a stress, guys. Like Going to that next step and operating outside the budget realm, I like to call it, is a different pressure. It is a different way of, of managing and operating. And I do think that making Declan Rice your piece of the puzzle says everything about what the management view, right? Like, look at the person, look at the team he's around, look at what he represents to both club and country, and you start to see why he was the one you wrote a blank check for. And you can't be doing that to every player. But the fact that he was the decision maker, I think speaks volumes to how this club wants to operate in the future. Um, and and I, look, I can't wait to talk about some of the other deals that maybe haven't worked quite as much, and we can analyze maybe why, because they're not perfect. But Ultimately, when you've got a clear plan and you've got a clear um, ceiling to what the way that you operate, you don't find yourselves in the Chelsea and the Uniteds of this world. And I don't mean that just as a sly, by the way. The reason that they're having so much difficulty in the market and the reason that they're having so much difficulty progressing themselves is because of the fact they didn't place these limits. They weren't. They were very self indulgent, and they led into criticism and to narrative, and didn't trust their own process. And for whatever you might think, if you disagree for a particular vision, that's fine. But fundamentally, the leaders of that organization have to believe what they're saying. Otherwise, your organization is doomed to fail. There's one kind of question that I'd love to flip the script and pose to you, Alex. And it's it's about Declan Rice uh, that I've seen this idea of, you know, 
we've we've we talked about overpayment and stuff for for Ben White. But I'm I'm looking at the completed transfers so far. Jude Bellingham after add-ons will be at something like 130 million euros. You know, um, what are the big ones? Kai Havertz being 65 million pounds when add-ons are achieved. Something like only 50 of that is up front. Dominic Sobozlai, 70 million euros. What? How much of an overpay is this in actual true reality? You know, look at the players in in his position. Who who are you signing at that quality level? Rodri, how much is it going to take to get him out of Man City? Way more than a hundred million pounds. You, I think, and also he's English. The home like we can't say these things about selling to other Premier League clubs and oh we can sell Bob Holding for like an extra five million quid because he's English and then not expect other teams to to take advantage of that in terms of us. And it's a it's a very expensive deal for sure. But I think this idea that we have somehow paid over the odds by a ridiculous margin is very far-fetched um, with the way that modern transfers are and with, with the money being banded about in football. But I'd love your opinion on that and kind of how far do you think we've paid over the odds for a player of Declan's quality? Well, I think George taking this discussion to a, a more business and organisational perspective is is correct because when you look at this from a from a business perspective, Football is one of the few businesses where assets are traded so frequently and publicly. I'm sure there's others, but you know, name me name me others where there's this kind of almost a business around the assets from a business being traded. It's it's pretty it's pretty unique, I would say. Even other sports don't have it to the same level. Yeah. So our, so then what happens is our is our minds and our our cycles and our sort of uh memories get pretty short, I think. And I think you, you you start to think about, remember the situation with Van Dijk? Remember how much everyone was going, oh my God, Liverpool have just spent £75 million on Virgil van Dijk. What the bloody hell is that? At the time, he could choose, and there's a parallel here, guys, between Man City and Liverpool. He chose Liverpool. So he's saying, you know, at that point, he's saying, there is two clubs, who am I going to choose? Who's the better fit for me? He made the right decision, whatever. But the point is, he's we're charging £75 million for this guy. Both clubs wanted it almost. I would say, and I, I was, I was the same. You know, I've now evolved hopefully, hopefully in my thinking. But I was the same. Go, oh my god, Van Dijk for seventy-five million pounds. That's ridiculous. But then you start to look back and you go, if Liverpool were in the same position again, would they spend that money? Of course they would. If Man City were in the same position with Grealish again, would they spend that money? Of course they would. I guarantee, in two, three years' time, we'll look back and go, that money for Declan Rice. I, I, I wouldn't say. I'm not as I'm not as far as George down the line of like I don't I think it's cheap necessarily that may, I may be mincing your words George so correct me if you think I'm I'm I'm, I'm misrepresenting your position but I, I would say it's right is what I would say it's what we should be paying for him I think a large proportion of this was David Sullivan wanting the British re- record transfer fee for this I think he's if you look at his I'm not casting aspersions on him as a person but if you look at the way he operates in general and I'll, he's a wanker. <laughs> What, what, that is what, the what, perfect. If you could take I ten seconds to. of audio from to. the different knock and to. sum up, you. <laughs> me I'm sorry, Brad. Alex. You teed that up so well that I like it was. It, it was just too perfect. These are the opinions of Bradley Adams, and not different knock and also podcast. Anyway, do you know, do you know what? As a, as a prompt, did, though, Alex, like yeah, I, I would probably want to ask this question a little bit because uh, no, like you didn't mince my words. I think like I I think look, cheap is a little bit exaggerative, but. I think it is undervalued, and I think I would probably flip the script. What metrics would you say 
have to be hit for it to be value, to, to be overvalue and undervalue. Like what are the KPIs that we have to hit? For example, if he leads us to European glory in a Champions League and leads us to at least two Premier League titles in his time here, mm. is that mm. cheap for his deal? Well, um, I, I think... Or is it value? I, I, I think possibly and again it's difficult it's like what is value who's to say and also you know you look at like if you you know if you win a champions league group game get four million euros yeah like <laughs> we're dealing yeah, with yeah. we're dealing with crazy numbers here so i think we still have this idea of like you know you get 30 million for winning the prem you don't like there is so much money involved in this and therefore you know that's part of the reason people can afford it and as i say i, I just to finish that point on david Sullivan before we got sidetracked i think he was looking for a certain fee to have that i have the british transfer record but george to come to you like i think it's you can only look in hindsight if i'm sat here today saying what is the quality of declan rice i'm saying he is at value we are i would say what we're paying is value it may well be he goes on to achieve certain things, at which point I would agree with you, we got more value than we paid for. Yeah. So that's that's my position, I would say. Regardless, from an organizational perspective, just to come back to that point and sort of square that off, Alessio Russo, signing for Arsenal Women. Ethan Waneri, signing a, a, one of the biggest contracts we, we've, I think, or maybe the biggest contract we've ever seen in the Arsenal Academy. This isn't Arsenal's men's first team. And if you think it is, you need to open your eyes. This is an organisational change that we are seeing that is benefiting every single facet of the club. When, when you go to the stadium, when you go to the training ground, when you go, when you look at, you know, even Steve Round leaving, and I want to come to, come to that in a second, Steve Round and Gary O'Driscoll going as our next topic. But even Steve Round leaving, and maybe I'll come to you, George, on this as a, from a coaching perspective. To me, mutual decision, probably the right time, and possibly the right thing to do, considering maybe there's some fresh ideas. At every level of the club, there is some change. There is some growth. But it's an organisational thing. I think when, when we start to view it through that lens, we start to understand it a bit more, I think. But yeah, uh, any any closing thoughts on that on that discussion and then moving on to Steve Round? Yeah, and it's kind of why I went organisational with it. I feel like you guys did with the micro really well. And I think that you cannot describe Arsenal's... Uh, kind of uh, journey without talking about an organizational change, because at that point you just start to analyze, you know, one decision leading to another when ultimately it was many, it's a moving part. And this machine that is Arsenal have taken a different step up and connection to the fans. Broadly, you look at the redesign of the Emirates in terms of the women's uh, being a huge forefront. That was something that the, the rest of, you know, England don't do. And I would say, in terms of youth, by the way, again, not to self-plug, but there was another kind of thread that I had put earlier today that talked about the focus of athletic development in youth. And when you start to, by the way, look at Miles Lewis-Skelly, Ethan Neri, I'll throw out another name that I really shouldn't, Aiden Haven. That's on the bingo card. Yeah, you know, there is, there is a particular profile of youth that we are developing right now. And if you look at Des Ryan, who is our athletic, you know, development lead, um, from 2013 to 2021, he had put a specific vision on how to design athletic development. And it's very similar to how Per likes to design what is a strong young gunner. Like these things, again, I point to these buzzwords because, again, they are corporate speak, but they point towards a very particular framework. And 
One of the biggest reasons that I look, by the way, at why Unai Emery didn't work and why Mikel did, by the way, both people that, in my opinion, are clearly talented coaches. I'm not going to sit here and say that coaches of the past aren't talented. They're in the game for a reason. And by the way, we're talking about a man who had very high European success in Unai Emery. But for me, communication is the make or break of so many facets of organization and business. And I just feel that having somebody with the clear, yeah, having clear, simple to follow objectives makes it accountable for both um, members of the organization and the leaders of that organization. And then when you start to go in, how do we change the leadership and what direction do we need to put that in? Well, that's always a combative force. You don't want to be stagnant. When you start to leave pieces that have been there too long, you then start to make the messaging seem boring. If you change it too quickly, you end up becoming the Unai Emery. If you change it with gradual change, you start to become Pep. And if you start to change it too, too much on a micro level, you become galaxy brain. So there's all these different <laughs> pulling of threads. And I think to loop it back into a Steve Round way so that we can transition to that topic. To bring it round, more like. Well, hey. I don't know you're going there, aren't you? Okay, well. <laughs> I hate that I said that, you that up should today. be on my bigger card. <laughs> um, but I think this is a brilliant thing to see. I love seeing the fact that um, this coaching team is evolving. And by the way, this isn't the first time we look at Steve Round because he was there from the beginning, and it's almost a sense of we saw him in an Amazon documentary, and us as fans can put a face to the name. But guys, look at Andreas Georgeson to Nicholas Yover. Um, that was our previous set piece coach for people just to jog their memories. And, you know, within a year we moved him on after, by the way, not having a poor record. It wasn't like Georgeson was somebody that was poor at his job, by the way, you know, he was actually somebody that first for defensive set pieces or something along those lines. um, Yeah. I was just going to say like he had set the record the previous season and then we move him on. So again, this kind of change happens quite a bit, um, at any leadership level. What I'm excited about is I think that we don't rest on our laurels and I think that we keep ourselves on our toes. Um, And I like that Steve Round has gone. I think he was somebody that set the culture. I'll be honest, when you start to look at his past, being a part of the backroom staff at David Moyes, it made sense when you're setting a culture to have somebody with that pragmatic outlook. And one thing I will say, though, I think Mikel was very smart in how he made his coaching staff. We are a very modern, attacking Um, and positional-based team. One thing that I loved was the pragmatic mind of Steve Round and what he represented. Um, I feel that our next buy in that department, for as much as the adulation of Sandy Cazorla is, I actually don't think that the Steve Round replacement should be him. I believe that it should be somebody in the similar vein. Um, I think it should be an experienced head. I think it should be somebody with a particular um, fondness for either a press or uh, off the ball structure, because I think that that kind of mentality is a good complement to somebody that wants to just keep moving forward. And I look at Stoivenberg, he's the technical Dutch mind that looks at trying to make sure that the technical aspects of our players are always um, highlighted. But I really like the fact that we are a combo and a yin and yang of off the ball um, studs, as well as on the ball studs. And I think he represented, at least for me, even if he wasn't quite the man responsible, He represented the pragmatic voice in a group of relatively optimistic, progressive coaches. Molina, um, you know, you look at Carlos Cuesta, etc. Yeah, Brad, like, 
the Steve Round thing's interesting because I, I got a similar sense to George that he was a kind of calm. There's a, a long interview with him on like, a, it's like a golf podcast or something. It's, it's something yeah. really random. It's like a, it's a not football related at all. But he talks about Mikel Arteta and he feels like, it's, it's a weird way to describe it. It's like he's kind of, almost like a mentor to Mikel. He's, he's not quite, it's almost like he's watching him from afar and going, yeah, Mikel's doing really well kind of thing, which feels like it's almost like a dad energy from the side. Yeah. Sort of being like, you know, like, yeah, he's doing really well. He's, you know, he's getting on well and I'm just making sure that things are okay. And it feels that we might have reached a point where you That's want fresh ideas. Anymore. Possibly, yeah, possibly Steve Round isn't, isn't necessarily... Um, the energy uh, needed in the room anymore. The one thing exactly. that I will say on this whole, I don't know a lot about kind of the backroom staff, the, because I think that some, as, as specific as we are with, with the job roles, you look at somebody like Steve Brown being the assistant manager and traditionally they'd be the person on the touchline in the year of the manager. For us, that's been more Stoivenberg. And I think that's the thing, especially in the last 12 months, you you were consistently seeing Stoivenberg and Arteta stood together discussing the intricacies of the game going in front of them, making plans around it. And I think it, it again comes down to an idea that we've mooted so many times on this podcast. And it's 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 about specificity. It's Roy Hodgson of, coming in. Yes, Roy Hodgson <laughs> coming in. No, it's about specificity of job roles. And just because we perceive the assistant manager to be a certain thing because of previous decades, it doesn't mean that that's the, the role that Arteta and Edu and the structure have aligned for that person behind the scenes. And I think that that's something that we've seen in the... Stoivenberg and Cuesta and uh, Molina have all had bigger impacts and bigger kind of um, presence on the touchline or with the players than Steve Round has. Um, but then you have to start to look at and quantify what his job is and then how we're going to replace it. I agree that um, having an experienced, pragmatic head is is a very good thing in a team that is consistently racing forward and consistently racing to be the best because you sometimes do need that person just on your shoulder just to be like, you're doing very, very well. Just think about this one little thing back here because you don't want to end up like Icarus. You know, you fly to, you, 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 you sometimes going too fast and too far can throw the wheels off of something very, very, very quickly. So I'd agree that that's kind of what we need moving forward. But I... I don't see this as a as a negative transition at all. I see this as a moment to to refresh, renew, and has probably come from Steve as much as it has from the backroom staff himself. He's probably finding himself, unfortunately, more and more redundant as we've gone through this process. The type of assistant manager that we needed back nearly four seasons ago or three seasons ago when Arteta took over you know, this this will be his third full season, but the fourth season he's been Arsenal manager. Everything has changed. So what does that mean? Every single role within the club has changed completely. It's a different ecosphere. And I think you're right to point out the kind of, actually the Icarus thing is a good point. It's like, if you look at the characters, like I, I get the sense that Arteta, pretty intense. Carlos Cuesta, pretty intense. Albert Stoivenberg pretty intense like you, you get the sense that these guys are very you know you watch them in the we can only say in the documentary and for what, what we've seen but seem very intense guys and i think having someone with a bit of an older head sort of stuff also from, from from a cultural perspective as well at some point you do want cultures to run themselves you don't want to constantly be going messaging 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 mess- messaging you want to be able to relax a little bit on that and just have the framework set in place and almost let the players run it themselves you know, there was a, I don't want to go back to Sir Alex Ferguson, but he obviously did something right with the culture. You can't deny that. And, you know, supposedly he came in the dressing room twice in 26 yeah, years. Paying referees. <laughs> and pay the referees. 
but you know supposedly you know he, he let the dressing run itself now there was many different issues with that and that wouldn't work nowadays and there was clearly a lot of what might now be referred to as uh, unhealthy masculine qualities in there. But I think what you can take from there is uh, a culture that ran itself because a, a guy set up a certain structure and allowed it to, to develop. So there's certain things that you can do. Brad, uh, the other um, backroom staff change is is Gary O'Driscoll. Do we kill him now or do we kill him next week? Because obviously he's moved home and that's not acceptable. He's betrayed yeah. us. He's a snake. Absolute snake. Um, I mean, I know, again, very little about this. I'm not going to profane to be the kind of encyclopedia of Arsenal's backroom staff. I think this, from what I've read, and I don't know whether this is just, you know, journalism and journo talk, that it's it's more of a, you know, rather than it being mutual, he, he's decided to move back to Manchester because that's where he's from. And, you know, even though United are in a bit of... They're not exactly on the forefront at the moment. There's still a big club who will be able to offer big wages close to home. And I think as fans, we need to remember that even to players, this is a job, let alone to doctors behind the scenes. Do I'm like, let alone to somebody who's just like there as a medical practitioner. Like if you're if you're offering me the same money or better to go and live near probably my elderly parents who might be in a certain stage of their life because we have to remember the age that these people are at as well. This is probably a life decision rather than anything else. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, I'm, I don't want to be one of those bitter fans that, that gets uppity about. It's a shame that we now have to restructure, rejig, but that can be a positive movement for, for change in, in, in anything. So um, good luck to him. I hope the United squad are injured 24-7. I hope he's terrible at his job, but I hope he gets paid very, very well and gets to live at home. Yeah, he was born in Manchester. I mean, he's a snake, let's be clear. But, you know, he was born in Manchester. And uh, and he also, he nearly went back to Liverpool in 2020. You know, he's clearly just, he's want, he wanted to return to that sort of part of the world. I think he's got Irish citizenship as well. So, you know, it's all it's all sort of, it's all understandable. Um, and who knows, I think Flo Newton is the club doctor, so she might step up or they'll get someone else in. Ultimately, we now trust the executive structure that they'll get it right, whatever it is, as much as he was a, a calm head and experienced head. So, whatever. Um... Before we get a second part, uh, hmm, how are we doing for time? No, I think we could do two. We could do two topics. Um, looking ahead to Nuremberg, I'll stick with you, Brad. What are you hoping to see? That game's on Thursday. We'll obviously football. have uh, some kind. Of, yeah, I'm. I'm hoping we see a football. Um, boots, grass, kicking balls. Uh, yeah. Uh, what else? Nets. Yeah. You want to see Mikel there, maybe? Uh, we don't need him, right? Nah, nah. <laughs> um, basically, any thoughts on that? Because it's difficult to say, isn't it? I mean, you know, we don't know. It's exactly not even the preseason tour. Do you know what I mean? It's it's yes. one of those weird couple of games where they start to get their fitness back. They start to get the match sharpness back before they go out to the US and do this preseason tour. You know, I'm not. Uh, I'm excited to to kind of have Arsenal back and be able to watch some some highlights or watch some. Of, of a proper game rather than a behind closed doors kind of style game. But um, I always think that it is very like it's it's much better to not put any expectation or any type of there's I have no anticipation because I don't see the point in it. You know, I think back to when we were playing a friendly against MK Dons and we were all so hyped for Saliba and holding scored probably the best own goal that I've ever seen in my life. Um, you know, but 
what 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 are the what it's it's what what is this going to tell us probably nothing because we're not going to see any of the new signings i don't think we'll see um an implementation of a system change yet we, we might, might see, see Havertz. Havertz. we might see Havertz. we might see Havertz, but i think it's very unlikely that we see a massive deviation from what we've been trying to do i think that's going to take some time with the full squad um to really knit together um so yeah I, it, it's good to see Arsenal back, but other than that, I often find I don't want to be. I, I think that sometimes we can put we can over index these things as like big, big momentous moments. That the the things that we'll see in preseason are obviously important, but we have to remember this isn't even preseason yet. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I always say about preseasons. I remember saying this last year. Like, it's it's not that you can't take anything, but it's also not that you. You can't put too much on it. You've got you've got to you've got to try and find a balance. And this is this is the thing. And I think uh, George, I want to come to you about the Watford game. And if there's anything you can take from it, I noticed a few things. For example, our pressing structure was slightly different. We're still in a four four two block. I mean, who literally who knows? Like who knows if this is anything? But if I'd be interested if there's any kind of takeaway for you. But just preseason in general, like your approach, because it's it's. I think there there are those in the camp who say you learn nothing from preseason. Don't worry about it till the first game of the season. And I think, well, hang on a minute. If you watch the shape of last season, the last preseason, you could see we were going to have a strong start. But also, there's times where you know Sambi Lukonga comes on against Chelsea, I think two years ago, and looks like the next coming of Messi. So you know it's it's <laughs> difficult to it's difficult to to know where the line is. Um, but yeah, any thoughts on the Watford game and thoughts on how to approach preseason? I guess. Yeah, no, there there are a couple. Look, for me, preseason is when a coach is allowed freedom um, to try things that he wouldn't necessarily be, feel comfortable at the start. Like, for example, he? I look at uh, Orshi. Sorry. Yeah, I'm not very wow. inclusive of me. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, speaking from my own perspective, um, you look at kind of like preseason as a way to um, implement tactics that you could maybe have an idea about, but maybe you're not fully formed, by the way, as the coach, like Mikel has an idea of maybe he what he would want to do in a particular scenario or setting. And sometimes you need to see it to see whether or not you like that. And the coaches are doing a little bit of experimentation themselves that maybe they may not want to see full on in the season, but they're preparing the squad for um, in the in- inevitability of maybe that game state. So I look at the six channel attack that we saw. Um, you know, we didn't quite see it actually in the season, but, you know, that was something very heavy in preseason. Um, that we looked at kind of Eddie and Kedia coming on the inside. In terms of Watford, what I saw, look, I saw some of the changes in pressing structure, but I actually felt it was the same structure flipped roles. So what, you know, Trossard was doing was obviously what Odegaard would typically do, but, you know, Trossard's based primarily off the left. So those roles on the right switch to the left. Look, I love that because something that we have predicted here on the pod quite a bit in terms of potential changes of Martin Odegaard maybe changing potential roles like when you start to see those things you start to say listen it doesn't mean that we're going to now change the role but it means he's open to at least saying the role can exist in another area of the pitch which is something when you're on twitter discourse you're not allowed to say um but it's clearly something that you know a lot of coaches play with when you look at kind of the the people that went to germany by the way miles lewis skelly uh, Ethan Nuneri and Ruel Walters. Whereas there was a plethora of talent. I didn't see Amario Kosir Dewsbury. I'm not happy about that. I think those three were quite significant. As much as we say that it's not quite preseason, I do think it's an indication of who's going to the States uh, minimally. I do think those three do travel. Uh, maybe Amario comes, you don't know, but those three being selected are clearly the ones being prioritized. 
I love it because we hypothesized that, you know, potentially Miles Lewis, Scali, as well as Ethan would be given preseason chances. They are. So yay, check in that aspect. Um, uh, another kind of youth that we haven't seen, though, by the way, is Charlie Patino. We know the link between that, but he is someone clearly that was between academy and first team, and he's not injured. And so I don't see a reason why he wouldn't be a part of the squad unless there is a little bit more movement there outside. But beyond that, guys, like I don't think you take performances in preseason on an individual level. You do look at the collective. So, for example, when you talk about your Lukungas look being messy and whatnot, like you don't look at cameos as projection for me for what a season will be. But I do look at the intent and the application. The one thing that I saw in preseason last year that made me excited for the upcoming season was intensity. I love the, yeah, the press. Chelsea game, man. It yeah. was it was crazy, and even Sevilla. Like when you looked at it, our press was on it from day dot. And so for me, I'm going to be looking towards those things. Like what is the common pattern of play? that we're seeing and that will be the bedrock that you build the season off of right so when you look at preseason fundamentally it's your first chance to kind of let these players not build fitness i think a lot of people actually misconstrue preseason players return fit you're not really working on tons of fitness unless you're a new coach trying to develop a new way of playing typically preseason from old coaches are typically ways of a let's establish your baseline We've got you guys on a training program, by the way. They're training throughout the vacation. These are professional athletes. You're not gaining too much. What you are maybe doing is maybe tweaking some particular muscle groups that you want to have find are weaknesses. So when you talk, I don't know if we're going to talk about Fabio Vieira a little bit later, but you look at players like that and you look at things that we could maybe fix physically and you look at preseason as a way to add tools, not reroute your fitness. Your fitness has a particular baseline. Um, and we look at try to look at some of the tactical things that we may want to see in this upcoming season. So for me, I take preseason pretty seriously. I don't look at the results, but I always look at the intent. And so I just want to see intent from the players, from the coaching staff and aggression. And look, we've done it off the mark in the market, but let's do it on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully that, that translates. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, everyone's going to be smart after the fact, aren't they? And say, oh yeah, we could always see it from preseason or whatever. It's just difficult. It's difficult to say. All you can say is say what you see. You can see that Trossard's moved into the left A and is in that position. That could mean anything. But at the moment, I'm just, that's what I see. <laughs> whether that's whether that means that was that game, whether that means Trossard's going to play left eight for the rest of Arsenal football club's entire life until we liquidate, like who knows? But, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to say. Um, just before the break, let's move on to two new signings. There's been some talk that Arsenal are not done in the transfer market, and we're supposedly looking at two new signings. And just to sort of frame this conversation, I think George and I discussed this on the bonus podcast, which you can find on patreon.com for stuff. If not, I was laughing earlier on at the idea of Daniel Ek watching me plugging the Patreon through my videos. And just being like, well, you're not laughing now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> watching, you're just watching see, like thirty grand get pinged into your Patreon as yeah. a donation. Imagining, imagine Daniel X on it for three pound a month. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want my content ad free. Um, so yeah. Uh, but anyway, we 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 discussed this on a bonus podcast with uh, by the way, George, we love and we look what you do, Daniel. If you are watching, and we would not yeah. say no to those. To those hey, opportunities. listen, hey. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. If 
if you want to, I'm, I'm, I've been an Apple Music guy. If you want to sway it and, and give me a free free Spotify Listen, subscription, hit me up, Daniel. Daniel. The, these boys need pay rises, so come on. <laughs> <laughs> I've got kids to feed, Daniel. I've got, got mouths to feed, Dad. Just got off the plane. Um, I got more so, to play, and I just got off the plane from Ecuador. Because <laughs> all is coming into coach. Right. So uh, I did a little. Uh, sort ashamed of, of yourself, okay. okay. Um, I, did, <laughs> I did a little uh, sort of Excel sheet because I'm a massive Neak. virgin. Looking at the possible lowest and highest fees, and I got an estimate of if we sold. Maitland-Niles, Runison, Trusty, Suarez, Nketia, Balligan, obviously Xhaka and Maitland-Niles are confirmed, Xhaka, Tierney, Marquinhos, Pepe, Tavares, Mari is confirmed, Holding, Lakonga, and Partey. We're not going to sell all those. I, I understand that. I'm just saying if we sold all of them, my lowest estimate is that we get 166 million. And the higher estimate is we'd be looking at 318 million. We'd also be saving over a million pounds a week on wages now of course as i say we're not going to sell those guys in the same window but it does put us in a certain um mindset in terms of going we've already saved 25 million of course again you don't know if that's up front and blah blah blah. you don't know how the payment structures work i suppose what i'm saying is there's a lot of possible sales and there's a lot brad of like possible interest in players there's a lot of possible outgoings and therefore i don't think it's far-fetched to believe that arsenal might not be done in the window so before we go to the break, quickly, because I'm worried about time. Before we go to the break, what do you think are the two positions? If you could if you could say that is the position and that's the position that we need. For me, I think we need something else in midfield. And I again, all this will depend on outgoings. I imagine we'll need something else in midfield, depending on outgoings. And I think we will anyway. A 6-8 something. If we don't sell Partey, then a project. And if we do, I think we need something quite substantial. <clears throat> and I also think, I doubt we'll see any outgoings from sort of Martinelli, Saka, Trussard, Jesus, etc, etc. So I would like to see, and Nelson, obviously now he's signed a new deal. So I'd like to see something up front. I think without yep. outgoings, even, even if Balogun stays, I'd still like to see something up front. So um, yeah, your thoughts on that? Uh, I think one of those positions is transfer dependent, like you say, and quite heavily so. Um, I I don't I think if we don't shift all of those people, which we won't, we won't see two. I think we'll only see one because you also have to start looking at squad space. You know, we can only register twenty five people from a, for a Premier League squad, and right now, let me just get it up actually because it's in my notes. I think we literally have space for maybe one more. Uh, where are you? Because this is how much of a nerd I am. I literally have it in my notes. Yeah. So if we keep Partey, and that's the only sale going on, and we keep Kieran Tierney because there's no current links or, or or rumor mills going about about him, there is space for one more player. So I think in reality, it's going to be one more, which I think will be somebody to play on the right and hopefully deputise for Saka. Uh, preferably for me, a project rather than a, a finished article, because I think you... You now have the option as well to play Trossard at a false nine, to play Enketia and to move Jesus out to the right wing. Uh, I, I mean, I've banged on about it before. I also wouldn't mind a Solly March. It's kind of just a like for like for a couple of seasons just to get us through. But um, I I think we'll we'll hopefully see somebody on the right hand side of that of that forward line come in. 
Uh, and then other than that, I think it's going to be massively transfer dependent. If we lose, say, Kieran Tierney and, uh, you know, we, there's, a, there's an option in the market for somebody who fits stylistically, fits age profile wise, I think that will happen. But it's it's so dep- that that one position is so dependent on what goes out that it, it's kind of almost just a bit of a pointless gamble to say where it is. But um, I agree with you, though, that if party goes, it needs to be somebody who is of a certain quality. You can't lose that from the squad and replace that with a project. It doesn't that doesn't work. Yeah. I think we can add a project now, but I don't think we can add a project if Partey goes. No. Uh, George, very quickly, uh, the thoughts on those two two possible signings. Um, Again, very quickly, I I think that it is a 6-8 as well. I'm not going to really change much there. In terms of the secondary signing, I think that the consistent links to right backs are significant. Uh, I don't look at, you know, what is that now? Frank Pong, um, Henricks, both after Urien Timber, prior to that, uh, Simakin. Um, Bowie, Fresneda. Um, that is now what five players that I've listed, all of a very similar profile in terms of an overlapping um, type of dynamism on the right. Like that's pretty on the point profiling. Um, so for me, I do think that a fullback would be a want um, in that sense on the right. Do we not have too many? Well, I don't think White, we actually quite have Timber and st- Tomiyasu. See, for me, Timber and Tomiyasu aren't in that profile. Right, like even if I was to use a Yuri and Timber, no, but just me, in in squad space, like where are they going to pick up most of their minutes? Is it is Timber going to be at centre back or is it going to be at right back? Well, I mean, for me, I've always made it clear. I see that Tommy Asu is more of a centre back depth option. I don't like him in terms of the full back optionality. Of course, he's got that in major emergencies, whatnot. But for me, I've never viewed him as such. So I would put him in centre back depth altogether. Then when I look at Timber, for me. I see somebody as a, as a potential filler across the back line. I've talked about it as the Milner of the defensive jobs for myself. I think he's better as somebody of a third center back in a three stepping into midfield. Is he somebody to offer you that over the line dynamism? Look, Ben can do it, but I don't see a, a similar uh, profile in the squad that can. And I wonder whether this is all Kieran Tierney dependent. I, w- I wonder whether the fact that we're looking for that primarily overlapper um, is an indication that maybe we see a Tommy Asu or somebody like a Timber, by the way, operating the versatility on the left as well as on the right. Um, I just think that when you look at all four or five of those players that I mentioned before, you're looking at a leggy um, kind of overlapping option. And for me, that could be not just, by the way, right back, could be right wing. What if we're thinking of just moving, you know, sack on the inside? We talked about the. Uh, potential of, of him in midfield you can reorient these things and having maybe our three two but maybe have our right winger hold the width but it be more of a fring pong quote and end quote which by the way is his role at Leverkusen a lot more he's not a right back he's more of a right wing back like do you repurpose that dynamic option and just have him in lane five pushing our other players into lane four those are options I don't think it's something that the club is going to be um you know, uh, upset if they don't manage. But I do think it's significant that even after Yuri and Timber, you've got very strong links to to Henricks and Frank Pong, who aren't cheap players and who do fit the profile of the last three right backs that were linked. So I think there's something there. Kind of with you, Brad, I look at Brooke Norton Cuffey. That would mean his time's done for me. Um, if we were to recruit somebody really young like that, I don't see how there's space for all of these right backs. But um, yeah, you look at Ainsley Maitland-Niles leaving technically there's space i want cedric to leave there is technical space 
for a right back. I don't know if there's minutes for everybody. That's the question. No, definitely not. I don't think. We're going to have to move on to the second part of the show. But we'll see you after this. Welcome back to the second part of the show. Thank you to those who are in the Different Not Members Club. Join at patreon.com for the Not Get Access to exclusive Discord server, ad free versions of all our content, including main and bonus podcasts, instant reactions, the rewatch, and bonus video content for just £3 a month. Come on, Daniel, you know you want to. And for one time support, head to buymeacoffee.com for slash Not You can. Daniel, please just buy me a coffee. Come on, bruv. Think how many coffees he could buy us. What's his net worth? He could buy a Starbucks. Daniel Eck, net worth two point nine billion US dollars. Fuck. Right, how much is Cafe Nero worth? Oh, mate. Rev- well, it's difficult to say, but rev- revenue two hundred twenty-seven million. Chump change. Look. <laughs> You can support us one time at buymecafonero.com. <laughs> they were bought out in 2006 for £225 million. So let's say they're even, they won't be, but let's say they're even a billion now. Come on, Dan. <laughs> you say you like yeah. the content, do you? Oh. <laughs> say your money w- businessmen, Dan. Put your money where your mouth is. Get the money out, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> that's in an old in an alternative Mention universe that's what we would flame. be saying we'd be saying Eck needs to get the money out me too Fellaini Bergovic William get your money out buddy Williams first question goes to Williams. at George V AFC and it is from uh, at AM on football and he says when are you getting your mic you total prick oh that's not really nice I'm so sorry about that that's not really nice. <laughs> I am going when to are get... you buying some new headphones yes well we, we talked about I think my headphones are a they uh, right now yeah. <laughs> we um if, if you missed this so uh, we have we have another podcast that shall not be named uh, which George and I appear on and uh, someone commented I think it was Traitors. that my headphones were gay someone said the headphones are terrible I said yeah those headphones are gay like we're literally in year 7 at a boys school in about 2006 I love it I love that we haven't evolved like (laughs) headphones are gay oh my god Um, Uh, but yeah I think AMO football wants that question answered so you probably need to the week of the 18th big man That 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 is the expected delivery date that you'll see me with a new one of those twisty microphones. skin fades. Lads, you heard, it, you heard it here first. The week of the 18th, if you're not listening to George off the Skull Candies, what, what should be the forfeit, George? Diff knock tattoo. I think the listeners, why don't, why don't we do that? We should do the listeners. Listeners should, listeners should choose TDK a on his forehead for yeah, six Patreon, months. Patreon, you tell I, me I, what to do, what you would want. I think you get patreon.com forward slash diff knock tattooed on you somewhere. <laughs> if, you, if you don't have a mic, but I'm writing this down. If you don't have a mic by the end of July, you get patreon.com forward slash diffnock tattooed on you. Agree? Bet. Here, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I'm writing that down. On July 30th or 31st, 
George is going to be frantically running around just every on the, shot. The top of my forehead for max visibility. I've reminded myself. I've reminded myself for the. I'm going to go the 29th of July just to give you a few days. Okay. And if you don't get it, you're getting patreon.com Or Daniel Ek, up to you. Or just the little Spotify Well, if he if he buys us a coffee. Yeah. If he if he buys us coffee near Question from Rashid Sarpong, who says, What to do with Charlie Patino? Bradley. Uh put in a buyback clause. He's not going to get any developmental minutes here, so there's no point keeping him and you trash a player's potential value. Um so I'd, I'd sell him to uh, either bottom of the Premier League, top of the Championship club, get as much as you can, but make sure you get a buyback clause out or a sell-on clause or both so that you can have the first refusal. Um, but if you don't want him, you still make a little bit of tidy profit off of it. There you go. There you go. Get it done, Edu. George? Get it done, Edu, you um, fraud. Not much to add. I do think that between uh, Miles and Charlie Patino, a decision has been made. They're both very, very similar in terms of where... They prefer the area of the pitch. I think that they're, um, I wouldn't say similar ceiling for me. I do think that a decision has been made with Miles, um, but I agree. I, I would definitely sell with a uh, sell-on clause as well as a buyback or first refusal, I think is always a good thing. Um, I just don't see the minutes. Um, but it is worth saying, by the way, that role that we want with Declan and another 6'8", who has a little bit more of defensive complement that can have a little bit more, um, you know, tempo control. It screams. If you say the name, Um, Miles Lewis Skelly, one more time. (laughs) No, no, no. I know we're going to. I think my ears will explode. I I saw someone say a Rice Patino early guard midfield is actually one of the most balanced midfields we'll ever find. And I... (laughs) I think it's really nice. It's it's good. It is good. So I don't I don't want to like ignore the people that are thinking but 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 and screaming into their ear, earbuds. You know, kind of why are you ignoring the talent? I don't think we are. Like gay headphones. To be clear. <laughs> yeah, well, you said it, not me. Um, We've got. We're gonna have a re- we're gonna have a really bad review that you're really homophobic, Alex. Yeah. In, in yeah. six yeah. days. They're just because- com- com- completely misunderstand the context yeah. and just be like oh oh you're saying oh you're you're taking the big okay people are you come on mate this is social media we never do that we're very logical <laughs> we'll understand yeah. what you're coming from but i'm um, sorry i'll let you finish your point george but i put this out the other day you know do you remember those comprehension books that you had to complete in year <laughs> year seven They're like comprehension key stage one you need to be able to fill one of those out before because honestly how many arguments on the internet would be saved by reading just reading what the other person said crazy and actually responding to what they said sorry george continue yeah no but i i I don't want to downplay the talent like i do think he is a very talented boy um and we don't have somebody like him i think in the squad like he offers a uniqueness like if you're going to ask me down the list of george metrics like do you get rid of x player he fits a lot of the reasons why i don't want to sell he's got a unique profile he's got an opportunity in terms of providing something to the first team he's physically ready he offers us depth in an area that I do think that we need. We're looking towards buying another six, eight. So, but again, all these things don't bode well if you're Charlie Patino and you've just spent a hundred million pounds on a you know defensive six, and you're looking to buy a potentially fifty million pound and Romeo Lavia, an Ecuadorian for eighty. Like when you look at the targets, they don't necessarily preach. I've got confidence in you, and then you're bringing Miles onto the preseason tour and you're not invited. Seems a little bit of uh, you know writing on the wall, but I would add those safeguards for us in the future otherwise it's poor business it's something that i i do think it's just in terms of as a a side thing about development 
I wonder how much of this comes down to just whether the coach believes the player mentally is, is able, because I think we can all see that Charlie Patino has the talent. I don't think that's the problem. Like I, I think people think, uh, maybe maybe Mikel might not like certain things about his profile, maybe he think he might develop here and there. But the difference is the ability to be able to deal with that level of scrutiny at the top level. Like that's the next stage. And I think I remember just, you know, even even in the, the players that he's given their debuts to, even even January, obviously he's saying he's a very good talent, but we have loads of good talents. Lewis Skelly's, the, the Patinos, that we've always had good talents. But he said, I look in his eyes and I saw something. And, I was like, and that's why I gave him the debut. And I think that's the difference. As much as we kind of, we want to talk about profiles and 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 fits and all those sorts of things. And, and that is absolutely right. But I also do think, there is a huge component of this and it sometimes goes underrated. The idea of, is that young person, a, a, you know, ostensibly someone who's in their teens, able to deal with the pressure of playing for Arsenal Football Club, I think is a huge part of it, Brad. Yeah, and you have to look at the fact that Patino is now 19, he'll be 20 this year. And how, I mean, I can ask George because George will know this off the top of his head. I think where is how old and Skelly are how old? 16 like, and 17. Exactly. As much as that's not a big difference in time, but if you look at it squad kind of planning wise, in the next few years, you can definitely see a world where there's some churn in the midfield and spaces open up for those two talents. Whereas if you're 19 turning 20, there are Premier League clubs with 19 and 20 year olds in their midfield. You know, that this is the kind of age now. I think it's, it's, it's more as well to do with... Um, age profile and suitability to that rather than ability as well because as much as he might also be ready to play for a Premier League club right now is he going to play over any of our midfielders no and he's now reaching the stage of his career where it's more important to play football somewhere than it is to be at one of these clubs so you know Saka, Saka, Saka has been playing for us since he was 17 this kid has played a handful of minutes and is nearly 20. Caicedo's 20, isn't he? 21. 21, I think. Do you know yeah, what I, I mean? Think... That's not a big jump. Yeah. You you have yeah. to go and play some football. And that's yeah. why, that's why that literally might be why it's looking at going, okay, it's a real shame that we aren't um, able to fit this talent in now. We'll sell him off. We'll let him get his minutes. We'll have the option there so that if he does explode, we can bring him back in. But we've got future proofing in that we have these great talents below him in terms of age. Yeah. I just think in terms of a development of young people, like it's so much about timing and not mm. luck necessarily. I, th- I think there's certain, there's, there's certain talents. I, like I Saka. Yeah. There's an element though, right? Like Patino comes in when Bakayo does, I think he's in the first team. And I think we've talked yeah. about this on a pod another time, yeah. right? Like <laughs> it, it is timing. This is the thing. And like, you know, I think there's certain talents like say like a Saka and a Fabregas and a Cole who you're like, probably whenever they would have made they would have made a professional career but i think like if you're in the academy ever you know you've been, you've been given professional terms you've been given a scholarship obviously there's certain players you think yeah they can they can go or probably you know make two million off them in a couple of years fine or whatever you know, and not that's on a business level and on a, on a personal level you just want the best for them but there's probably five or six players who Mikel looks at and thinks yeah you could probably play the first team just is do are we is that profile that you have specifically right for a certain role that I have in my team not right now or is there a pathway is there minutes have I just signed a a huge player in your position do you have the mental capacity to do that there's so many things outside of talent and this is you know I think I push back on people say like oh Mikel doesn't rate you know let's say Brook Norton Cuffey I'm sure he does I'm sure he just probably just thinks he's just not quite 
profile right. I think I bet he thinks he's a brilliant talent, but there's maybe something mentally or maybe something physically or maybe something just in the way he plays that he thinks that's just not quite right for my team. And it doesn't mean that, that player is a bad player. It just means that they're not quite right. And just, you know, as you said, Patino, I think is probably one of those guys who's really close and probably two years ago he would have gone through. But, you know, it is what it is. Question from uh, AFC Harrier. I saw redacted at a very arrogant man on the internet saying the only profiles that City have in their squad that we don't have are Ake, Bernardo Silva and Walker. Do you agree with this? George? Um, I agree on Kyle Walker. I actually think that's why the right back that we're uh, looking at. And conversely, sorry to cut across you, what profiles do we have that they don't? I look at Havertz maybe? Well, I mean, Holland probably is their their analog to that with a lot better finishing, right? Um, you know, in terms of a channel running, tall presence. Um, in terms of maybe what they don't have, they don't have Declan Rice, first off. Um, you know, and I do think that's a pretty big difference. I don't think that they have a Gabriel Michael Ice. I don't think that they have a William Saliba. I think John Stones is really different to those two. Um, and I also don't think that they've got Thomas Partey. Like, when you start to look at some of the spine of Mikel, it is very different. Jesus, for example, you can maybe argue is Alvarez, but we haven't seen quite enough of that. Um, and I, I Ramsdale think, and Edison are vastly different goalkeepers. Very different. I, I in think the way that they lot. distribute. In, yeah. You know. Absolutely. Like, there, there are a lot of differences in terms of how Martinelli, for example, I mean, he got rid of the Martinelli's in that squad when you start to look at the Sterling um, and, you know, the Leroy Sané. Like, he went for a very different type of winger, ball to feet winger. winger yeah. So, yeah, there, there are differences, I think, in, in terms of us. I, I agree on the Kyle Walker thing. I don't think that we've got a speed demon in the back line that on his own is a transition control. Now, Kyle Walker is not the same Kyle Walker of years ago, but that profile and that's also, by the way, a uniform. Like, don't you guys think Kyle Walker is scarily similar to Fresneda, Bowie, Simikin, etc.? Like, that is the profile we're looking at. Um, in terms of Nathan Ake, I don't know if I fully agree there. I think Yuri and Timber, I famously have said, you know, for me, he strikes me more of an Ake. I think he'll be famously. Famous. It was front page. Uh, yeah, it was, it was dr- dr- <laughs> first page news. Um, I think the Ake is something that we do have, even between Tommy Asu, by the way, like that specialty. 1v1 defender. Um, we've got somebody like that. Um, the Bernardo Silva is an interesting one. People like to look at Fabio Vieira as the uh, Bernardo Silva. I don't quite agree. I actually look at Martin Odegaard, um, and it will be a little bit strange seeing as though he's just almost broken the EPL record last season for goals. But for me, he is somebody that's going to develop into both the Bernardo Silva, but also that good-to-good all-phase midfielder um, that we're kind of looking at. And, and I think that he has that potential. So I actually do see those analogs within the squad. It's just probably Kyle Walker. And I actually see City lacking more about our team than vice versa. Like, if anything, I feel as though that we've recruited quite a bit of those profiles that City have had, but we do have that additional presence in the middle, particularly defensively and in transitions. Like, I don't think um, our our team is as tall um, or rather City are as tall as us anymore. When you look at Havertz, Declan Rice, um, look, Urin Timber's not the tallest, but um, when you look at the, the spine of our team, it's quite tall. Um, mm. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's differences. But I wanted to pick up on the Fabio Vieira thing because it's something 
uh, I'm wanting to make a video about and steal both your opinions about. I've mentioned before that I am concerned. And Brad, I'll start with you, then I'll come to you, George. I'm concerned about Vieira. I think it's lazy analysis to say he just needs to bulk up because you you know, you look at you can okay, look at Bernardo Silva in terms of frame, but you can also look at Angel Di Maria. You can look at Luka Modric early early doors. There's you know, I don't think it's as easy to say if you're not of a certain strength and size and power in your upper body, you're not you're not able to play football. But I do worry about where he plays. I think he could do a job holding width because I think he's got that quality. I think in that sort of Bernardo Silva-esque thing. But where we're currently asking him to play, especially when Erdegaard's on the pitch, I find there's a lot of redundancies in the way he plays. I worry about his ability to impact a game, but I recognise that he hasn't necessarily had the chance to do that. I worry about his physique. I do, but again, I recognise that he's not necessarily had a whole preseason. I have a lot of concerns. As I always say, very, very, very happy to be wrong on Fabio Vieira. If Fabio Vieira comes out this season... And 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 changes, you know, my mind. There will be no one happier than me. But right now, Brad, like, I just don't, I don't see it. But yeah, your 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 thoughts, and then I'll go to you, George. My take on this is I don't think he's played enough football. Um, even just if you look at the course of his career, in his entire career, he's played seven and a half thousand minutes, and he started playing in what? Well, how how old is he now? Twenty three. So, even if he just started picking up those minutes at 17 and some of these are like UEFA youth level minutes he's now 23 you're only talking about six years so you're talking about just over a thousand minutes per season which is a sizable amount yes but if you look at the development that's gone into Bakayo Saka from his first debut to now and add up the total amount of minutes that he's played and at his age it will be vastly different um I think that there's a lot of current like we've said before there's a lot of current things that I think need to be exhausted first before we write off the player but I'm not worried yet because I think that it's more of a case that uh, as Arsenal fans and as fans as football we love to have something to be worried about like we love to be like okay where's the where's the negative where's the weakness what's the one thing that I'm looking at this season going this might not pan out well and if I were to look introspectively, my opinion would be probably the same, that it is Fabio Vieira and that in the event of an Erdegaard injury, we would be playing him. He's not played a lot of minutes. He's not shown a lot of promise in an Arsenal shirt yet. But there is so much football to be played this season. This is the perfect time for this to be happening. You know, he's going to be coming up against good quality opposition. We've increased the quality of depth because one thing that's probably been really difficult to gauge is the quality of him when he's been surrounded by Mohamed Elneny as the six and another youth prospect or sometimes Granit Xhaka in the left eight and random players in front of him um, during Car- Carabao Cup games and such. So I I look at the fee that we paid for him and I look at the, the promise that he showed in Portugal and I go there is a player in there. I think it's a little too soon to be worried, if I'm honest, but if if things haven't we're now in a we're we're now in a different phase than we were even a season ago. So as much as I might not be worried, if things haven't clicked next season, I would be considering moving on from Fabio Vieira because that's the kind of ruthlessness we now have to have to keep our perch where we are. I mean we they booed Ronaldo at that. Madrid, do you know what I mean? They booed Ronaldo at Madrid. <laughs> 
So we give him the season. We see how it pans out. If it doesn't go swimmingly and it, that we don't start, start to see some promise and some contribution, we can always move on. But I think the thing is, is we've lost money anyway. Like he's devalued anyway. Might as well take the gamble on another season. Because what are you going to lose? Another five million quid? At this point, it's champ change. George, tell me about Fabio Vieira. Okay, I'm going to save the profile for the end. But I'm going to give our two stars um, just some context right now. Um, Gabriel Martinelli, guys, we got him when he was 18. And in his first season in 2019 to 2020, achieved 663 minutes. Okay? The next season, 589. And the following season... In his big breakout season, he achieves 1,800 minutes. Now, um, in the first two seasons, he's got three goal and assists contributions, both seasons. And then in his first big season with almost 2,000 minutes, he's got 12 goal and assist contributions. This season just passed over 2,000 minutes with 20 goal and assist contributions. Fabio Vieira, would it surprise you guys to learn that in the same time, in those same seasons, Fabio Vieira achieved 230 minutes, 400 minutes, and then in his big Porto breakout, only 1,300 minutes. In the first two seasons, then we talk about the goals and assists, he also achieved three goals and assists in the first one, only one in the second. But his this breakout... This that Mourinho rant where he goes like, 2013, out <laughs> in the group stage. <laughs> yeah. 2014, round of 16. <laughs> well, <laughs> Carry on. Well, yeah, and then and I know it's the I know it's the Portuguese league, but I will say in his one breakout season, he's achieved um, seventeen goal and assist contributions, and Martinelli had twelve. If we're being fair to the same amount of minute to production development, even to Gabriel Martinelli, who I think everybody agrees is unquestionable, not only has Fabio Vieira had almost half the amount of minutes, but he also, in the same time, when given the production of minutes, has been as productive. So. When I'm looking at it, does that mean now, George, that you're saying, oh, Gabriel Vieira, or sorry, Fabio Vieira is going to be our goal scorer of next season? No. What I am showing, though, is the fact that development path means something, minutes mean something. And of course, when you are in an environment, by the way, starting preseason, having had an injury, um, you know, wasn't in the best way last season. And I don't agree that last season was the best way to see the best out of him. In terms of the player, quickly to go on, um, let's talk about him. Interior playmaker, he's got a great burst, excellent ball striking, phenomenal vision. There's a lot of stylistic comparisons to Bernardo, but I think he's got a much more passing influence. And he does have that famous five-yard burst that I love. You know, he's a silky, modern-day kind of attacker. He can go both sides of the pitch. I think he's very flexible, having played left central midfield eight as well as right central midfield. He can find slip balls through. Um, and he has played as an anchor for very significant minutes, by the way, for Porto. So he is a modern midfielder in the sense. I, I feel like you can't eulogize about him without looking at his passing ability. When you look at Fabio Vieira in terms of having the highest open play assist per 90 in the Portuguese league when he did move, only Messi played more through balls per 90, by the way, in across big six leagues in that same season. I think he's a player that can give you this specialty lofted ball over the top, very Sesk-esque. He's very excellent with that. He can find any pass he wants through a pinhole, and he's got a phenomenal half-space crossing. He's got no angle bias. I don't think he's particularly set on one side of the pitch, and I just think he's a phenomenal technician, fundamentally. Right now, what you're looking at is, I think you're looking at somebody that is adapting to kind of a quicker pace of play. I think what you're looking at is, 
a player right now that is lacking his minutes, what Brad said, is very, very key. And, and you know, I, I think that when you're looking at when do we stop having trust, for me, that really de- de- depends kind of when does he stop adding value to the squad? When does he be replaced by somebody within the squad that can offer those same things? So, yeah, I, I just think that there's a lot of um, maybe what about ism on that talent right now. And I think that we're going to see a lot more with a future version of Arsenal. Personally, I really see a bigger striker getting the best out of him. And copy paste. There we go. That's my video <laughs> script done. Cheers. <laughs> the reason I, the reason I asked George is because I can't see, I can't see the player. Like I, 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 there's some, there's just some players that jump off the screen to you and you go, I get it. Like I see it and I, and you see it before. You feel like you see it before everyone else. You're like, oh my God, can't you see this guy's a, a wizard? And maybe that's how you feel. I just like, I, I, I think the number nine point is a good point. I think like the minutes point is a great point. I agree he's a great technician. I just don't see it. And look, as I say, I, I'm, it's the influence on the game. That's that's the thing for me. It's the, the, the idea of him being the sort of primary creative hub of a team. Maybe that's not him. You know, I, I don't know. But uh, but but just at the moment, that's what I expected. That's not. What maybe it's a case of missed expectations. I don't know. Maybe, you know, look, we'll see. We'll see. It's it's all up for debate. But but yeah, I, as I say, I, I would love to be to be wrong. Brad was smiling at me because I was just literally just writing down what you said because I can't see the player. I literally can't. So I'm like, oh yeah, good point about the open assist. I need to look in that. I'm taking it, mate, because I can't see it. <laughs> like I really can't. Look, I, I think it's difficult when you don't see him in the shirt do these things. That's one thing, right? Like, for example, I'm getting a lot of the Rams. I'm not saying you have, by the way, but I, I'm getting a lot of the early Ramsdale fears that I got, and I went very against the grain, saying, "Listen, I think Aaron Ramsdale has high potential as a distributor." People kept saying, "Well, George, we haven't seen it," and I'm like, "Well, I think you need to go a little bit deeper in terms of some of the traits he has shown you." to show how maybe in a different role you might see it. I think that's what's something that you'll have to do with Fabio Vieira because right now he hasn't been given a role to shine. It's just a time game. That's all it is. It's just the time game. He's not played enough in an Arsenal shirt at high quality minutes for us to make an assessment. I think that's all it is. Yeah. And if we do, by the way, and, I, and I'm kind of with Alex in a sense of I'm not sitting here giving him unlimited time. There needs to be a limit to which you need to assess whether that asset is of value to your squad. So... Let's make sure that we give him the time, but at the same token, it's not unlimited. Speaking of time, we have just got time for a little bit of Arsenal trivia. So, lads, last week I asked you, on what date did the Emirates Stadium officially open? It was a match for Dennis Burkamp's testimonial featuring Arsenal and Ajax in the year 2006. What was the date? It was in the summer, Alex. Yeah, For sure. it's got to be the summer. It's got to be the summer because they wouldn't have done that. And I don't think they would have done that post-season. It would no, make pre-season, more sense sure. to do that pre-season. So probably around this time. So I'm going to say... July for sure, mm, in my opinion. Yeah, I'd say early July. Like July, the, maybe around this time, like July the 2nd, 10? 2006, something like that. Okay. Is that your final answer? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the 10th. Why not? Just to be different. The Emirates Stadium officially opened on July the 23rd oh. of 2006. <laughs> and your question for next week, boys, how many players has Mikel Arteta... Oh, my mum's just decided to call me and pause my recording. Got the dentist. You silly fucker. 
Brad's mum's called. How him. many players have uh, has Mikel Arteta officially signed for Arsenal? That includes loan signings, but not loan to permanent signings. So Pablo Mari just counts as one. Cedric just counts yeah, as great. one. Uh, how many has he signed? Very good. Well, we'll have to leave it there because uh, Brad's got, got a run. Brad's got a hot date. Uh, is the but, version of the finger gun by the way that's all I'm imagining yeah, yeah. right now <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah it. baby <laughs> thanks as always for listening we appreciate you keep it different knock and we'll see you later we'll see you later <laughs> peace peace thanks so much for listening to the different knock and arsenal podcast to get bonus podcasts and much more, you can sign up to be a TDK member at patreon.com forward slash divnock for just £3 a month. Check us out on YouTube and follow us on all social media at divnock. Thanks again for listening. Podcast Network.